Okay, so as we start this psalm, I want to ask a question. How thankful would you say you are as a person? Are you a thankful person? If you had to mark yourself on a scale of 1 to 10, how thankful would you say you are? So, again, I have a six-year-old, so children's books have been my world, and I was a primary school teacher, so I reference them a lot. But are you somebody who's more like Piglet from the Winnie the Pooh stories, who, uh, who, who the, the books say, noticed that even though he had a very small heart, it could hold a rather large amount of gratitude? Are you like that? Are you somebody who knows you can hold a lot of gratitude? Or, if you're honest, are you more a bit more like Eeyore? who can find the worst in the best of situations, who says hello to Pooh Bear one morning by saying, good morning, Pooh, if it is a good morning, which I doubt. (laughs) Which are you more like? Or perhaps more interestingly, what would the people who know you best say you're more like? (laughs) And there'd be a fun discussion for over drinks later on. Um, I know personally I'm much more like an Eeyore than a piglet. I can see the worst in the best of situations, and I can let the negatives eat me up far more than see the shining positives anywhere. I'm way more prone to discouragement than over-encouragement. I'm much more of an Eeyore than a piglet. I don't know what you are, but perhaps, perhaps a more helpful question then might be, what are you thankful for? This morning, as you think about your life, what are you thankful for? Where does your mind go to when you think of things that you are thankful for today? I imagine we could, we won't, we could go round and ask everybody, would have, each would have a different thing that would be unique that we're all thankful for. What are you thankful for? Well, Psalm 100, as we've just read, is a psalm that calls all of us, piglets and eels, to be thankful. That is the aim of this psalm. That's why the person wrote it. Uh, that bit in italics at the top of the title that we had read for us says, it is a psalm for giving thanks. That's part of the original psalm. It is a psalm for giving thanks. This wants us to be thankful. And out of all 150 psalms, this is the only one that says it has that explicit intention. Obviously, other psalms do help us to be thankful. You know that, I'm sure, if you've read any of them before. But this is the only one that is specifically designed and written to help us be thankful. And so we're going to look through this with just three headings. I think they were emailed out this week um, to help us just think about this psalm together as we think about how we can be thankful. And the first thing we're looking at is what we're told to do. The first thing we'll see is what we are told to do. Now, not many of us like being told what to do. Do we? I mean, I know I don't. I'm certainly the last few years perhaps have shown that there are a lot of people who don't like being told what to do. Um, there are certain things I really, I really rile against when I get told what to do. So I realized that um, when I get told to eat slower, that just flashes me back to when I was a child and my mum saying it, oh, I really hate it. It really winds up. Maybe maybe that's just me and my greed. Um, But we live in a world, in a society that doesn't like being told what to do. We're not not very good with rules and being told those things, which could make this psalm quite difficult because this psalm is full of imperatives. Now, don't worry. I was a primary school teacher. I can explain things like imperatives simply. When I was a primary school teacher, we would call imperatives bossy verbs. So when you're bossing someone around, you're using imperatives. And this psalm has got loads of them for such a small psalm. In just five verses, there are seven imperatives, bossy verbs, that it gives us and commands us and tells us to do. Some of us might not like being told what to do, but the truth is the God of the whole universe has the right the authority, and the love for us as his people to tell us what to do because he knows what's best for us. 
And part of what's best for us is how we are to worship God and how we're to give thanks to him. Because Psalm 100 makes it really clear that God cares how we worship him. God really cares about how we worship him, particularly when we do it together. And that's where these seven bossy verbs come in. So what are they? Well, if you have a look down at the psalm, uh, in verse 1, you've got make a joyful noise. You've got serve the Lord with gladness in verse 2. Come into his presence with singing, verse 2. Know that the Lord, he is God, verse 3. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise in verse 4. Give thanks to him in verse 6. Not verse 6. Verse 4 again, sorry. Uh, uh, 7, bless his name. Also in verse 4. Seven imperatives there, seven bold commands that this psalm tells us to do. That's a lot of commands in such a short bit of writing, isn't it? And so emphatically on the same theme that we cannot miss their point. And we can't avoid what they're really trying to tell us. We can't explain it away. And they tell us that God wants us to be joyful and glad when we come together to worship him and praise him. Verse 1 tells us we're to sing with joy and gladness. This is a command and a call to be exuberant and almost over the top when we worship God together. We are to make a joyful noise to the Lord when we worship him. I'm always thankful that's a joyful noise and not necessarily a tuneful noise. Uh, The church I grew up in, there was a lady there who um, really couldn't sing. Uh, And uh, she she, she said to my dad, who was the pastor, he said, oh, I, feel, I feel really bad about singing because I've just got an awful voice. And I think my dad's reply to her was, he who made the sparrow also made the crow. Just sing. Um, so it's good that it's not necessarily a tuneful noise, but to be a joyful noise. And you can't miss that the way we're meant to do all these things is so meant to be positive. We're to make a joyful noise, serve the Lord with gladness, the singing, thanksgiving, praise. This is meant to be a bursting out of positivity, isn't it? I said earlier I was a Welshman, very proud Welshman, and six years ago, in Euro 2016, Wales made it to a major football tournament for the first time since 1958. If you didn't know, we've also made it to the World Cup this year. It's a big deal. Anyway, in that tournament, we'd made it to the quarterfinals, but we had to play in the quarterfinals a number one ranked team in the world, a team called Belgium. No one gave Wales any hope whatsoever, and early on, Belgium took an early lead. It was a tough watch. But then, just before half-time, Wales snuck in an equaliser. And then 10 minutes into the second half, this guy called Hal robson Carnu, he got the ball in the box, three defenders around him. Cruyff turned them. They're all sent all different directions. Scores one of the best goals you will ever see. Plots into the top corner. And it is an incredible goal. If you've never seen it, Google it afterwards. Hal robson Carnu versus Belgium. But at that moment... I was sat alone in my front room. I was exhausted. I mean, just driven back from my granddad's funeral in South Wales. But despite all that, when he scored that goal, I could not help but get up and cheer and shout. I think I woke Aoife upstairs. I couldn't help it. It was such an amazing thing he'd done that I wanted to just shout and cheer, and I couldn't keep that in. Maybe you felt that during the cricket recently or the Euros last year. I won't talk too much about those for English people. Um, or Wimbledon or even the rugby even yesterday. What incredible matches with rugby we saw. Yes, maybe you were cheering during that. That kind of, that idea of this outburst of exuberant joy when someone does something incredible. And the psalmist is really clear in Psalm 100 that this is the kind of thing that should be obvious when God's people 
gather together. And it is really about when we gather together particularly, because all of the imperatives, the bossy words in this psalm, they're all plural imperatives. They're all things we're meant to do together. This is not something we're just called to do on our own. I guess this is particularly for local churches when we meet together. This is a together psalm of thanks. We should be excited about the chance to come to God with our brothers and sisters in our church families. We have the privilege of worshipping the living God with each other. And that is something that should drive us to exuberant joy when we do it. John Stott said it like this. If God is king, what can our worship be but joyful? Away with funereal faces and doleful dirges, joy, gladness, and singing are to be the accompaniment of worship. Together, we are to make a joyful noise to the Lord, to serve the Lord with gladness, and to come before him together with singing. Together, we are to know that the Lord is God and to enter his gates with thanksgiving. Together, we are to give thanks to him and praise his name. This is something we and you are to do together. This is a picture of church together expressing gladness and joy and praise and service and worship and knowledge and thankfulness all together. So in truth, this is less like me watching that Wales match on my TV alone in my front room. It's more like I was there in the crowd shouting and cheering. We are to be thankful people whose thanks bursts out when we come together in joyful praise of our God and our Savior. So that's what, what we're told to do. But the truth is, I don't know if that's just me, that jars with me. Sometimes that sits really uncomfortably with me. All this happiness I've just been talking about. And it jars with me particularly because this isn't just a psalm for us living in 21st century Britain. This is for all of God's people, all over the world, throughout all of history. And the question that's been going around my head about this is, how can Ukrainian Christians sing this psalm? In the face of all that they've been through in the last few months, how could they be told this and it not be insensitive? How could they sing this psalm? Or Christians in Nigeria at the moment. How can they sing this psalm with the very real threat of death for their faith lingering over them at any second? Or in truth, I'm visiting you guys. I don't know what's going on in your world. I don't know what your world is like at the moment. How can I stand here and tell you to be joyful and happy? I don't know what's going on. Your world could be falling apart. How could any of us genuinely sing this psalm when our worlds crumble? Well, thankfully, this psalm tells us how we can do it. Because all of those instructions, those bossy imperatives, they're underpinned with reasons why we're to do all those things. And so we're going to see, secondly, why we're told to do it. So we've seen what we're told to do. Now we're going to see why this psalm tells us to do it. Why are we told to give thanks so joyfully? Well, the psalmist gives us seven reasons why we should be people giving thankful praise. So verse 3, the Lord, he is God. Verse 2, it's he who made us. Sorry, verse 3 again. We are his. Fourthly, he cares for us. We're the sheep of his pasture. He provides pasture for us in verse 3. In verse 5, he is good. Verse 5 again, his steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness is everlasting. We're given seven commands to be joyful. 
and seven reasons to be joyful. The psalmist wants us to know and treasure and give thanks for the things about God that are unchanging and permanent. See, our God really is God of and over all things, the creator of everything and everyone. And if we're Christians, he re- we really are his people, and he deeply, deeply cares for us. And this God, our God, is always, always good, no matter what. His love for us and his faithfulness to us and his promises and his people are completely, always and forever. And these promises and truths, those are the things the whole world needs to see. Verse 1 is commanding the whole of creation to come and shout for joy to this God. These unchanging truths about God are what we need to declare to the world around if they're going to come and worship him with us. Is this the God we're showing to the world around us? A God who is God over all things, who made us and who calls us his people and who cares for us and is always good no matter what, whose love and faithfulness are always and eternal. That is the God we must show to people if we want them coming to know him for themselves. And if you want to fully grasp this psalm, you really do need to come and know this God for yourself. The name given to God in this psalm in verses 1, 2, 3, and 5, Lord in all capital letters, it shows that. The reason it's written in capital letters is because it's the Hebrew special name given that God gave for only his covenant faithful promised people to use for him, showing the intimacy of their relationship. It's a name that reminds us of God's promises and his love and his faithfulness and care and provision for his people throughout history. If you're not a Christian, that is what you're called to come and be a part of, to know this God who is faithful and loving and kind no matter what. And if you are a Christian, this psalm really is what God is like. This really is the God you we have the privilege to worship and give thanks to. If you're not yet a Christian, this is the God who's calling you to come and worship him as both Savior and Lord, maybe for the first time this morning. And as I say, I love that there's seven reasons to give thanks in this psalm. There's an equal number of reasons to give thanks as there are commands to do it. Because... Our praise and our worship of God is never meant to be empty-headed and brainless and emotional, but without any substance. Worship of God comes from knowledge of God. And our worship and praise and thanks for God together, well, that needs to begin when we're not together. It begins before we get here. These truths we're meant to know in our hearts before we then come together to pour them out and show each other how we want to do that from what we've been learning about God that week. This psalm shows us that our together thanksgiving, worship, and praise for God must be fueled by our own individual hearts of love and thanksgiving and praise for God during the week. To quote one commentator I read, if our corporate worship together on a Sunday isn't the expression of our individual worshiping lives, it isn't really worship. If what we do in here isn't really an expression of what's been going on out there, if we can't be honest in here with what's been going on out there, then is it really worship? This psalm, and I think the rest of the Bible, make it clear that we can't do one without the other. We can't worship and adore God on a Sunday properly without doing that during the week. And we can't do that properly in here if we leave all our mess and our baggage out there. We can look like we're doing it, 
But the Lord of heaven and earth knows the truth. And I think that's reflected in the things that we're commanded to be thankful for. So think back to that mental list that I asked you to make at the start of the things you are currently thankful for. I know that for me, the majority of things I think about when it comes to being thankful are to do with circumstance and health and comfort and holiday and positive relationships. And those are all really good things to be thankful for. So whatever you had in your head, you really should be thankful for those things. But the problem is, those things can all change, can't they? All of those things can go in an instant. Health, comfort, happiness, all of those are temporary and uncertain. And if we're only mainly thankful to God for those things in our life, then when those things go or change, so will our thankfulness. So if we're only ever thankful for those temporary things, when they change and when they go, our thankfulness will go as well. But Psalm 100 wants us to see that when our thankfulness is primarily fueled by the truths about God that are unchanging and eternal, then our thankfulness can be unchanging and eternal as well, even when our world falls apart. So how can our Ukrainian brothers and sisters give thanks at the moment? How can our Nigerian or North Korean or Afghan brothers and sisters give thanks today? How can any of us give thanks when our worlds fall apart? Well, it's because of what we can give thanks for, always. Because God is still God. He still has made us. We're still his people. He still cares for us, even when we don't understand what that looks like right now. He is still good still loving, still faithful to his promises. So they and we can give thanks among the bullets for these truths, even if for nothing else at the moment. That may well be how you're feeling, like you've got nothing else you can really give thanks for. You can always give thanks for these. Ultimately, any of us can only do this because of Jesus Christ. He would have sung this psalm. He's the chief worshiper and he's gone ahead of us to make our worship and thanks now possible and he's proved these things about God really are true Jesus proves that our God is the God who made us by becoming one of us we are his people because he's the good shepherd and when we were far from him and wandering and lost and not his people he did everything necessary to find us and bring us back he cares for us by providing for our greatest need the forgiveness of our sins. And he continues to provide for us by praying for us before God today. And even if everything is taken from us in this life, he is still ours. God is still our God. Heaven is ours and eternal life belongs to us. And Jesus demonstrates that God's love for us and his faithfulness to his promises is so everlasting, he's willing to seal them himself. This also reminds us when we don't understand his leading, this psalm helps us to see the reality behind things. Verse 3, he's the shepherd and we're the sheep. It's not the other way around. As frustrating as that might be, sheep don't always understand what their shepherd is doing. But they follow him and they trust him anyway. And we can always give thanks for our good, loving, faithful, caring shepherd. He's laid down his life for the sheep. That's the reason our Ukrainian brothers and sisters can give joyful thanks, even in the middle of a war. 
because these things are still true. That's why our Nigerian brothers and sisters can give thanks even as they face death for the sake of being a Christian because these things are still true. And that's the reason you and I can always, always give thanks to God even when our world falls apart around us because these things are still true. Our God never changes. He's made us. We're his people. Nothing can change that. He always provides pasture for us even if that is in the next life when we go and see him face to face. He's always good, no matter what. His love endures forever, and his faithfulness carries on and on and on. As we saw in Psalm 22, sometimes God loves to use what he hates to accomplish something he loves. And we can trust him for that. And choosing to cling on to these truths and believe them more than we believe what our life circumstances are, well, that's faith, isn't it? That's the very essence of faith, choosing to trust the Bible and God in what he says rather than what our world and our experiences tell us. That is faith. And even the smallest amount of faith is a powerful thing, the New Testament makes that clear. It doesn't have to be massive. It hasn't got to be grand gestures. You haven't got to be happily dancing through your life if your world's falling apart. But choosing to cling on to God rather than give up, that is faith. If you feel like you're barely clinging this morning, keep clinging. Because that delights God. And it's beautiful. And it is an incredible testimony to your church family and to the world around. And ultimately, we can keep clinging because of Jesus, who's keeping hold of you and me even now, who's demonstrated just how true these things are by his life, his death in our place, his resurrection, and his going ahead of us to heaven to prepare our future home for us. The Lord is God. We are his people and he cares for us. He's always good. His love endures forever and his faithfulness never ends. So if we're mainly thankful to God for the circumstances of our life alone, then when those circumstances change or go, so will our thankfulness. But if our main thankfulness is fueled by truths about God that are unchanging and eternal, then our thankfulness can be unchanging too, even when our worlds crumble. I'm very aware of time, so I'll hammer through the last bit quickly. That's what the psalm tells us to do. That's why it tells us to do it. But as we end, I think this psalm also helps tell us how to grow in doing both of those things. How to grow in doing both of those things. It's all well and good me saying, be more thankful, without giving you encouragement as to how to do it. That's not helpful. That's like me teaching someone to swim by saying, you see them swimming? Just do that. It's not helpful. We need help. And I think this psalm really does help. And I think it gives us two things to encourage us to grab onto and cling onto to help us grow in our thankfulness. And those two things are God's word and God's people. God's word and God's people. This psalm makes it clear that we are to know truths about God. So we need God's word to do that for us. The Bible, because that is the only place where God has revealed these things about himself clearly and explicitly. If we want to trust these truths about God more than we trust our circumstances, then we need to know them, don't we? We need to be reminded of them again and again and again. Because let's be honest, we've got very short memories. I heard it said recently that the Christian life is basically a life of constant amnesia and deja vu. Oh, I forgot that I learned that already. (laughs) That's certainly true for me. And if you read the Old Testament, that's certainly true for God's people through there. 
We need to be keep reminding ourselves of truths in God's word that we may well have thought we've nailed already. We need to know them so that we can trust them. Jen Wilkin, the writer, says it like this. We're only lured into wrong belief about God when we're unschooled in right belief about him. See, when we don't know God properly, when we don't know what he's like, well, that's when wrong beliefs about him creep in. And the primary way God's shown us and revealed himself to us is through his word, isn't it? I used to really struggle with reading my Bible, though. I used to really struggle with it because I'd, I'd go to camps or I'd go to like, conferences or some church services and I'd, I'd get that hit, you know, that emotional hit from like, a cracking sermon and time together and singing. And then I'd want that when I go to God's word on my own. And then I'd read it and, okay, I've got nothing. So I'd get, I'd, I'd get, I didn't have that same emotional experience, so I'd give up on it because I clearly wasn't doing it right. But I've come to realize that not every bit of the Bible that we read needs to leap out at us in the same profound, deep way that we might get at conferences or in sermons. There are times, praise God, when the Holy Spirit does that, as you read a bit of his word, and it just grabs your heart, and it's thrilling, it's amazing. But there are other times when I read bits of the Bible, and well, I've read it, and I trust it's doing me good. I, I, I've read through the Bible in a year the last few years, and there are big chunks, mainly genealogies. The start of 1 Chronicles that I've just endured through, to be honest. But I trust that it's doing me good because God says his word does me good and it shows me truth about him. It's feeding things about me that I need to hear, even if I don't understand why I need to hear them at the moment, about his faithfulness, his goodness, his godness, his love. See, reading the Bible is a bit more like regular exercise. We don't notice the good that it's doing immediately, but it is doing us unseen good. And we will notice it if we stop doing it. So we need to be people who read our Bibles because we're so prone to forgetting the things about God that fuel this thankfulness. And with reading the Bible, like exercise, a bad something is better than a good nothing. My wife always tells me that. I had a really rubbish run today. Well, good. You went for a run. It's better than sitting on the sofa doing nothing. And it's the same with the Bible. If you read it and get nothing from it, that is far better than not reading it at all. So what are you reading? Is that worth thinking about this week? How are you currently reading the Bible? Are you just opening a book, working your way through it? Do you take it like paracetamol to try and treat whatever problem you think you're facing that day? And encourage us to be systematically just reading through God's word, whatever that looks like, with other people if possible. There's no set way or amount to do this. But we do need to be meditating and reading on God's word. If you find that difficult, I'm sure there are people in this church who would love to read the Bible with you. He says, giving more work to people here. But I think that's a great thing to be chatting about together. Because we do need each other. We need God's word, but we also need God's people. Because we need to remind each other of these truths. Because we forget them so often. You need each other to be reading your Bible so that when the doubts and hurts and fears affect you, someone else can speak into that from your church family to encourage you to keep going. We need each other to fuel this thankfulness. That's why these are all plural imperatives, bossy verbs. They are together corporate things. That's why we gather together on a Sunday. That's why God's given local churches. That's why we're seeking to grow a church for Ersmontzel. Because it needs it. And in a state where life is hard, it needs a gospel-fueling church. That's what the Isle of Wight needs, is a church that lives together and loves each other and encourages each other to be thankful and praising. The church is God's main mission method for wounding, hurting Christians and for a world that doesn't know him. 
But I just want to encourage you to be stuck in. I don't know what your church, I've not spoken to Ollie or anybody here about what church life is like here. I just want to encourage you to get stuck in wholeheartedly with each other. Be vulnerable with each other at Grace Church. I can't help you fix an illness you've not told me about. Be honest about it. Share these things so that your brothers and sisters trust that God is going to speak to you through other people in your church family. How are you also encouraging others in their walk with God and allowing them to spur you on with love and good deeds? Who are you going to spend time with this week? How are you going to follow the model of Philippians 2, where we come to church not looking to our own interests and how we can be served, but how we can come to church together and look to serve others? See, if we want to be Psalm 100, thankful, joyful Christians, no matter the difficulties that life throws at us, we need to be people who focus on unchanging truths about God. And he's revealed them through his word. And we need each other to help focus us on those truths as well. And then together, we get the privilege and the joy of being these thankful, exuberant, joyful Christians together, worshipping God. And that is exactly what the Isle of Wight needs. So we need to remember and be thankful for the unchanging, permanent truths that this psalm tells us. Let me read it again as we close. A psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Amen.